You're listening to the Flying Goat Farm Podcast with your host, Lisa Check. This podcast is for people who love yarn and fiber and sheep, who love to knit and crochet and maybe even felt. We will be talking about the crossroads between keeping sheep and goats, making yarn, and expressing your colorful self. Welcome back, everybody. Today we're going to be talking about clothing choices that affect climate change. But first, here's what's happening on the farm. It has been a series of really, really hot days, um, hot and muggy, thunderstorms almost every afternoon. Um, so all the animals around here are laying low. They are not expending a lot of energy during the day. They're um, eating early morning or even at night um, when it is cooler. And then they're hanging around in the shade during the day or in front of the fans. The sheep like to sit in front of the fan in the, um, in the barn and just hang out during the hottest part of the day. Um, on a happier note, it is also um, tomato season. Tomatoes, zucchinis, lots of cucumbers. So we've been making uh, lots of pickles and pickle relish and um, starting to get into the whole rush on tomatoes where we will be making tomato sauce and what we call almost paste. We, we get it down as far as we can so it's closer to a tomato paste than a tomato sauce. So that's what's happening here on the farm. So all season we've been talking about fast fashion and how it's kind of creating a monster in our world. Too much fossil fuel is being used. Too much pollution is being generated. Too much textile garbage is going into our landfills. Too much human damage all over the world, not just in the industry, but also in the people that are wearing the clothes. Too much damage to the soil too much water damage with those microplastics, and too much inequity is being generated throughout the world. So slow fashion and local fashion, those are the ways that we can combat these problems. But is it easy? No way. It is not going to be easy. And is it quick? No. And what I've been saying all along is baby steps, uh, making your choices each time you go out to buy something, and um, being a mindful consumer. So this time I wanted to talk about climate change and not just global warming, that is merely a symptom, but, the, but climate change in general. Climate change means the weather as a whole throughout the whole world. And what we're seeing now, it's, it's kind of apropos that this is what we're talking about this week is because um, there's been so much uh, climate, severe weather occurrences this week. There's been floods. There's been tornadoes. There's been hot, hot, hot temperatures at, for extended periods of time. And, of course, more humidity, too. And greenhouse gases are, is what's causing this. And, you know, how does that work? Um, you know, politicians, they, you know, there's a lot of propaganda out there, but let's just look at the, at the science. So, um, 
the greenhouse gases get built up and we'll talk about how that happens. But what they end up doing is they they trap the energy of the, that's coming in from the sun within that atmosphere. It's kind of like putting a blanket on the atmosphere. And so there's no way for that heat to get out of the atmosphere because it's being held in by those gases. And it, they're called greenhouse gases because it's kind of like uh, the metaphor is a greenhouse um, where you have the glass walls, where the sun comes in, keeps everything nice and warm. Um, and unless you can open a window or a door or put in a fan, there's no way to get that heat out. And so that's um, basically what's happening to our planet. Oh, and I didn't even mention, I'm now looking at the graphic here. I didn't even mention about the number of horrible fires that we've been having in the last few years um, and even places that have haven't been on fire and shouldn't have been on fire for a long time or having tornadoes that never used to be in Maryland and now it's you know this summer it's been almost a weekly occurrence so what are greenhouse gases so there's water vapor that's in our air um, there's carbon dioxide there's nitrous oxide there's ozone, and there's fluorinated gases like PFCs and HFCs, things that are coming from um, industries and from our air conditioning units and things like that. So where do all these gases come from? How are they being made? And basically what happens is that we are making a lot of power. We are generating power, and those that power is being generated from fossil fuels, whether it's natural gas or diesel gas or coal. Um, we have a big power generating plants that are using fossil fuels to give us electricity. Um, another cause is manufacturing. So much manufacturing, just think about it. Everything that we use in our life is being manufactured. Our, our devices, our clothing, of course, because that's what we're talking about. Um, our, our cars, um, are everything that we think of, everything that's in your house has been in a manufacturing factory somewhere, most probably. Um, it's not being made by artisans. It's being made in a factory. Um, cars and trucks and um, airplanes and all those things. And, um, you know, you, that the, you remember those iconic pictures of the smokestacks with the pollution pouring out from above. Much of that is water vapor, but there also is containing nitrous oxides and other gases that um, are harmful and also become part of that blanket of greenhouse gases. We all use transportation, um, trains and planes and buses and automobiles and trucks and ships. Um, all of that is taking energy to you know, move us and move um, our things around the world. We are all powering our homes and buildings on electricity, and I I don't know the statistic. Um, I I would say that a very small small percentage is being powered by uh, solar at this point, even though it's becoming more prevalent to have solar powered homes and buildings. I should say that um, our house, our barn, 
uh, my studio, it is all powered with solar power. Um, also increased consumerism. We want more. We want more. So th things have, so more things have to be made. So think increased consumerism means more and more and more um, manufacturing. And when we dispose of those things that we don't want anymore, then we're using transportation to get them to the landfill as well. So there's many, many ways that we're using um, we're using energy systems that are releasing greenhouse gases. And the final one is producing food. Again, manufacturing of food, packaging of food, transportation of the food. Um, and then there is, of course, animal methane. Um, all animals uh, burp and fart, and that produces methane. Um, I think uh, I, when I was looking this up, um, sheep and goats produce about 10 kilos of um, methane per year per animal. Um, so on a small farm like mine, it isn't a huge problem, but it becomes more and more of a problem when you're thinking about, you know, big industrial animal farms that have hundreds or thousands of animals. So in our world, we have what they are, what we call a sink. We have carbon sinks. So these are places where carbon is stored within the earth system. And there are five major carbon sinks in our world. The first one is the atmosphere. So we have lots of carbon, CO2 um, in our atmosphere. That's, again, causing the greenhouse problem. We also have lots of carbon within the ocean. Um, we have dissolved organic ca carbon that is there as well as carbon that is being produced by the animals and plants that live in the ocean. Um, grassland and agri agricultural soils um, are also carbon sinks, especially when they're healthy, and we'll talk about that. Um, forests are carbon sinks. And the, finally, the lithosphere that is deep down in the earth, and that's where the fossils are and the fossil fuels are. And so that is another big major carbon sink. So what's happening is we are draining that lithosphere. We're using more and more and more of the fossil fuels. Um, and there's no way for those fossil fuel, that, that carbon that we've taken out to get back into the lithosphere it will take hundreds, maybe millions of years to get back. So we've disrupted the carbon cycle. We're taking the carbon from one place, we're putting it into a different one, and there's no way to introduce that carbon back into the earth as quickly as we are taking it out. So we have disrupted the balance of the carbon sink, the carbon cycle. The other place where we have caused a lot of disruption is the forest sinks, because as, as we cut down forests to make paper or to have more agricultural land, we are taking away a lot of um, plants, trees, that are capable of, um, of sequestering that carbon within 
their leaves and their trunks and their roots and all of that. Um, so we're just destroying a whole um, sink area without having anything to replace it with. So corporations tend to be the biggest producers of all of these greenhouse gases. And as we talked about before, corporations are going to do what they are going to do. They're going to keep doing what they're doing because it's working for them. They are making a profit. We keep buying what they are providing. And they won't change their processes to be more sustainable unless and until we start to demand that. And we have to stop buying the cheap stuff, the polluting stuff, the inequitably made things, and the unsustainable textiles that they're selling. And yes, we need to vote with our dollars and do research on those brands um, that we like the best. Um, and we are seeing changes in those industries because consumers are demanding something more sustainable particularly in Europe. Europe is way ahead of us in this area. Um, we can catch up. We just need to, um, we just need to do it, do it. <laughs> um, so we just, we need to demand that they, that these brands have a sustainability plan, um, that they are reducing the amounts of waste and therefore reducing the amount of actual textiles being made. Um, we can ask for those things and we can vote for with our dollars. And a local wardrobe is also something that can address climate change because if it's made locally, let's say, you know, it may not be made here in Frederick, but let's say it's made in our region, there's going to be a lot less transportation used. Or even if we say, let's get make it a little broader, USA made so that it's not coming from overseas and you are using less transportation. Um, and when you have decentralized those industries, they can't, they're typically smaller and they can be more responsive to what the customers want, to what we want. And a local wardrobe will also benefit the local economy. Just think again, even if we widen this out and say, you know, I'm not looking at something that's made in Maryland, but let's say I'm looking at something that's a USA made product. Um, if I'm demanding that my clothing be made in the USA, that's providing jobs for our, our citizens. That's providing um, money that is kept within our country and isn't being sent away to other countries. And can farm yarn save the planet? Well, yeah, it can because it also addresses many of the climate change and sustainability values um, that we've talked about uh, before. So basically growing plant and animal fibers puts carbon back into the soil. Atmospheric carbon um, is taken by plants with and with using the energy from the sun, it is made into sugar, it made into glucose um, or fructose or any or other sugars. And so the, the CO2 and the energy of the sun are being made so that the plant can grow 
and the plant can uh, thrive and that the plant can then be eaten and provide nutrition for other people. Um, and, and these nutrients also go down into the roots and the carbon can then get into the soils. When we talked about the grassland and ag, uh, agricultural land soil sink, it can go in there. So you're, you're sequestering atmospheric carbon in the fiber and in the products, like in the roots of the system, I mean, of the plants, in the healthy soil that is go, um, made by having it being planted by the manure of the animals that are there and in the fiber itself. And farm yarn is also a local product. So there's less transportation. It's a smaller, more responsive in industry. And yes, again, vote with your dollars. So carbon farming and regenerative ag is um, a is a topic that is gaining more and more traction out there. So carbon farming is simply using practices that reduce carbon loss into the atmosphere and promote carbon sequestration by sequestration by taking the carbon in the atmosphere and actually putting it back in the plants and the and actually into the soil. So you, you are um, reducing what's going into the atmosphere and then you're taking what's in the atmosphere and putting it back in the soil. So some of these uh, practices would be um, to reduce the amount of erosion um, you, by putting the carbon back into the soil, by planting hedgerows and cover crops, by restoring riparian systems near the farm that is going to be growing more trees. So you're you know, adding to that forest sink. And animals recycle carbon through their digestive tract. So you're getting, um, the, so the, the carbon that's in the manure can then be spread out onto the, the field, which will then feed those plants and put more carbon into the soil. So if you're going to buy farm yarn or fiber, it's important to ask about their farm practices. Not everybody will have a carbon farm plan. We don't um, have a carbon carbon farm. I can say it, carbon farm plan at this time. But we have many of those um, practices um, being used on our farm. We do have a riparian um, restoration going on where we have an acre that was planted. It's nearly, um, what is it? It's almost 20, it's a little bit over 20 years old. The trees are getting pretty big, which is kind of nice. We do have windbreaks all around our farm um, because we're kind of, we're surrounded by forest trees. We do have um, cover crops. We always have something that's growing on our farm. We don't just have fallow or um, or open dirt here. Um, so we are doing many of those practices that are good for a farm carbon farm. So you know, ask if you're gonna if you're gonna be buying farm yarn or fiber, then ask about their farm practices. Do they do rota rotational grazing like we do? 
Are the animals grass-fed for the most part? Is the manure put back in the soil in some way? Are they using it? And I guess most importantly is, you know, are they doing something about sustainability? Are they interested in sustainability? So here's your call to action. I would hope that you could find a fiber farmer in your area. And there are there's a great way to do that. Fibershed.org has a map of affiliates and they have lists of producers in your area. If you're local, go to chesapeakefibershed.com and click on our map and you will find producers um, in our area. Uh, also, you on Facebook and Instagram, you can follow Ches at Chesapeake Fibershed and at Fibershed and you can see great um, projects that people are doing, um, sustainable products that are being made, a lot of um, local fibery goodness happening all around the country and around the world. Um, the Fiber Shed, I think I've talked about this before, the, there's uh, 58 Fiber Shed affiliates all around the world. So wherever you are, you should be able to find some producers that are really working to uh, be more sustainable. So until next time, let me know if you found a producer in your area. And of course, if you're local, you already know that I'm a fiber shed producer. Um, and as always, you can leave a comment or a review. And if you have questions, send me a message or send me an email. I love to answer questions. So until I see you again, happy making. Well, that's this episode of the Flying Goat Farm podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a review. Have a question you'd like me to answer? Send an email to goatherd at flyinggoatfarm.com. And to see our farm and yarn and roving, check out our website at flyinggoatfarm.com. Follow me at Flying Goat Farm on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm Goat Herd on Ravelry. Until next time, happy making.